Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every damn episode we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows or movies. I'm your less popular host, Tim Malloy, and here is the hero of the day, Deirdre McCarrick. Hey, Tim. Coming at you from the 90210 adjacent. We are indeed adjacent to a zip code adjacent to 90210 for the people. This is one of my favorite types of Shoot This Now episodes. It's an episode where you have come up with a wholly formed idea that I had nothing to do with, and all I have to do is sit here and bask in your awesomeness. You just have to pull up a chair and provide some commentary and banter. I've got my chair. You do. You have a nice little vinyl 1970s chair that you're sitting on. Yeah, and I made it squeak. Nice. Cool. Uh, Do you want to get started? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's this? uh, Oh, we should do some quick housekeeping, folks. If you like this podcast, obviously we don't barrage you with ads. We don't give you any nonsense except for the parts where I'm talking. So if you could do us something in return, if you could follow us on the Twitter machine at ShootThisNowPod, we'd be delighted. We can convey information to you. We can add to things. We can share the dialogue that goes on along these episodes. And you could also uh, DM us and say, I have an idea for a movie that is better than your stupid ideas. And maybe we'll have you on the show. I'd love that. And we will be totally cool about acknowledging that you own the rights to it and all of that stuff. So if the Hollywood people call you, you will have it it's on the record. It's all yours, mostly. It's, it's mostly yours. That it's like 80% yours, which is like a small fee for us. Yeah, it's 49% yours. I mean, it's it's ours. So hit us up on DM. Hit us up. Uh, I Can I say it? Yeah. Slide into my DMs. Ooh. You're my wife. I've never gotten to say that because Twitter wasn't invented when we started dating. Okay. So, okay. okay I got really excited. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Whew. All right. All right. So today we're going to talk about a truly tough lady. She was a Japanese female warrior who fought during the Boshin War, a Japanese civil war that lasted from 1868 to 1869. It was just a shorty war. Um, and her name was Nakano Takeko. Hold up. A lady warrior? A lady warrior. She was one of the only known Onabugeisha female samurais in Japan's history. And I'll say known because we'll get to this later, but there were many women samurais in Japan. Um, we just don't talk about them. So Onabugeisha, that's Japanese for definitely not a geisha. Correct. Yep. Wow. Not yeah, really. You got right? it. Not really, but okay. sort of. Well, I'm American. I don't know. Right. So we're talking about this now because obviously we're in an age of incredibly strong women where women are redefining what it means to be a female. Mm-hmm. Um, we just saw Brienne of Tarth get knighted on Game of Thrones. Um, the almost entirely female cast of Big Little Lies is back in action. Would you say Sir Brienne of Tarth broke the dragon glass ceiling? She did break the dragon glass ceiling, Tim. That was a good one. Thanks. Oh. You can add that to your dad joke notebook, <laughs> which is full. Uh, women are leading nations. They're leading companies. They're making movies. It's all about us, Tim. They're Just get out the, the way. Podcast. I'm out of the way. I'm firmly out of the way. So, okay. I love this idea already. I'm completely in. Uh, and for In terms of comps, I thought of one, and I only think I think this one's pretty darn good. Kill Bill meets Braveheart. Can I be honest? Yeah, that's the best comp we've ever had. 
Like we're seeing this immediately. Uh, uh, yes. I'll just, I'll just watch Kill Bill over and over again. So when you throw in the Braveheart angle, yeah, 100%. Awesome. I'm glad you're on board. Also, Japan is just a country that everyone loves. There's no one who doesn't like Japan. It's a beautiful place. We've been there for like three days. It was probably the happiest three days of our collective life. It was absolutely wonderful. Everyone was so kind. It was pristine. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was a marvel. There was a bookstore with an entire floor of comic books. I mean, yeah, Japan. Yeah. Go Japan. Go team. That's the name of multiple Japanese cartoons. Go team. But then there's like five other words after that. It's like go team ninja robot Godzilla style. Moving on. So act one, I think, is we're going to talk about the war itself and uh, Nakano's, Nakano Takeko's involvement. And we're also going to talk about that inner conflict of what it was to be a woman during this time. So um, just to give you a little background, like I said, on female samurai, for thousands of years, certain upper-class Japanese women learned martial art skills and participated in bat- battles right alongside male samurai, which I didn't know, actually. Um, between the 12th and 19th centuries, many women of this class learned how to handle swords and naganita, which I'll explain what that is later, um, to defend themselves in their homes. So in the event that they, their home or their um, village was overrun by enemy warriors, the women were actually expected to step in and fight to the end and die with honor. So you always hear stereotypically like women are the defender of the home, women are the defender of tradition. These women are taking up swords to defend tradition and defend the home and taking up a naginaida, which I definitely want to know what that is. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Nakano, I'm going to call her Nakano. We're on a first name basis. Okay. um, Was born in Edo, which is modern day Tokyo. Um, She was thoroughly trained in the martial and literary arts, and she actually worked as a martial arts instructor during the 1860s. So just to address the white elephant in the room, I see you rolling your eyes. This takes place around the time of the Tom Cruise movie, Last Samurai, where he's a U.S. Civil War soldier who goes over to fight alongside the samurai. That film is actually set about 10 years later. Um, But regardless, I think we have so many incredible American Civil War films, why not have a few set in Japan? Totally agree. So Nakano Takeko. During the Boshin War, she's about 20, 21 years old. So she's a, she's a young lass here. When the war breaks out, and to give you a little context on this war, it happened during the year of the Yang Earth Dragon. And the, Togo, Tog, the Togugawa shogunate... Um, Come on, Deirdre. Everyone knows what the Tokugawa shogunate is. I know. Pull it together. Uh, we're fighting against the Western-backed Meiji imperial government. And the samurai wanted to overthrow the shogun and return p- political power to the emperor. Real quick interjection. There are so many between-song skits and samples about this on Wu-Tang Clan albums. Really? Yeah, this is a really well-explored area in martial arts. So you're intimately familiar with this subject matter. I'm intimately familiar with not having any idea what the Wu-Tang Clan are talking about, and I think this movie could help me finally understand them. I don't think it will. Okay. So this war takes place, again, it's basically the shogunate um, versus the uh, empire, the the imperial government. Um, According to a story in the Japan Times by Michael Hoffman, 
The new Meiji regime that took power in 1868 stood for modernization, industrialization, and westernization. Mm. It only, if only to defeat the encroaching western barbarians, quote unquote, at their own game. The Togugawa shogunate meant seclusion, stagnation, tradition. She is on the side of the shogunate because for her, it's about honor, um, loyalty, and the chance to die beautifully were their sole inspiration, according to this article in the Japan Times. So they're fighting westernization. They're fighting westernization, but it's not really that. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are loyal to their shogun. Mm. Th- that's the bottom line. The sure. shogun says, we don't want these western barbarians, and she's like, I am following you. More or less. Okay. Yeah. There was a death poem that's also referenced in the Japan Times by another female defender, and... She said, each time I die and am reborn in the world, I wish to return as a stalwart warrior. So, again, I think it's really for um, Nakano and everyone fighting um, during this time. It's really about honor. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're fighting more so than the the specific cause. Mm -hmm. So... I also think what would be interesting, um, and we don't hear anything about this in Nakano's story, but I was thinking about her role as a woman and how she symbolized this incredibly fearless um, female. And it would be interesting to juxtapose her position with another kind of archetype in Japanese culture, which is a geisha. Mm. So maybe we introduce a geisha character as well as it's sort of a counterpoint to show how are these two types of women coexisting mm. in society at the same time. And in, during that period, there were many different classifications and ranks of geisha. Mm-hmm. Some women would have sex with their male customers. Others would entertain them strictly with their art forms or with tea service. Um, prostitution was legal in Japan up until 1908, so it could have been practiced. Um, either way, it was, it was very much a service industry servicing men. So this is so Wild West. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep, it is. You have like Calamity Jane versus women working in a brothel. That's so cool. So, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that they've taken a Western, uh, taken a Japanese story and transposed it to an American Western. I mean, it would be like taking an American Western and transposing it back to Japan. Right. That's awesome. Yep, exactly. So the Western-influenced people who, she, who she's fighting, they're all male? Yes, predominantly. So almost all of her opponents are men. So she has to have like an, a main enemy here, a big boss who's like a Darth Vader. Absolutely. I love that. And he's he can even wear a helmet like Darth Vader's because we're in Imperial Japan. I think that would be amazing. So there's kind of like a take down the big enemy. And he could represent all men. <laughs> Total light hand. Not at all. Subtle. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to say anything, but we can make it clear that he represents a, a new wave that's flooding in that is actually not helpful. Maybe he has like a remote control in one hand and a Bud Light in the other um, to just represent all men. Yeah, no, I think I would find that objectionable. I, I mean, there can be like a good man character on her side who she like goes to for support. He's like an ally. Maybe. Eh, maybe. Just to show that but it's But she's not... got her mom and her sister. Well, there has to be a cool man in the story because, you know, it's out. Eh. But anyway. All da- right. I'll let you have your Darth Vader Imperial, Imperial Army leader. So 
during the Battle of Aizu, which was fought in northern Japan from October to November of 1868, she becomes the leader of an ad hoc corps of female combatants, entirely female, including her mother and her teenage sister. They had to fight in the battle independently because senior Aizu leaders did not want them to fight as an official part of the army. So even though there are trained female samurai, they, she's a martial arts instructor for much of her life, they're still not technically allowed to fight for their um, domain is what they called it. So this is like getting into act two of your story. You're yes. setting up a big conflict, and it's kind of like the 54th Regiment in Glory, where it's the black, the black regiment who are doing some of the most risky and dangerous things and are still not getting respect. Exactly, and they are, again, just fighting for honor. Um, and you'll, I, I think that pays off at the end when you see how, um, what happens to Nakano. Oh, um, so as I mentioned before, she fought with a naganita, which was a, a very common weapon for women. It is a cross between a sword and a spear and it has a curved blade rather than a, a straight one. So it's a pretty badass weapon. Okay. That's going on the poster. Wow. Okay, no I doubt. love this. I love this. And if you're wondering, hey, was she any good out there on the battlefield? Apparently, she had a kill count of, do you want to take a guess? How many samurai she killed? I mean, samurai are armored, and they're much bigger than she is, and they're on horses. Four. How about 172? <laughs> what? 172. It would be hard to kill 172 people with a plane. I couldn't even, like, stomp on 172 ants. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at these men's deaths, but 172? Yeah. I don't mean to overheat the mic. And what? again, she was a real person. This isn't a, a comic book character. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm not laughing at people dying. I mean, I'm laughing at so many people dying by one person's hand. That's insane. I know. She's wild. <laughs> um, and, and the the... Domain or the clan that she was a part of, again, is the Azu, which was a branch of the Tokugawa form, uh, uh, which was a branch of the Tokugawa shogunate. Um, and apparently they preferred extinction to an imperial restoration because, again, they were defending the shogunate, who they had committed to and pledged to. They would so, rather be wiped off the earth than yep. have their enemies win? Yeah, correct. Yep. Wow. Yep. Or or give up. Wow. And that brings us to Act 3. So Nakano was obviously an incredibly successful samurai, um, you know, killing 172, leading the women's army. Um, But unfortunately, she was shot in the chest um, while leading a charge against the Imperial Japanese Army of the Ogaki Domain. Oh, wow. And get this. Fearing that her enemies would defile her body and make her head a gruesome war trophy, she asked her teenage sister to cut it off and bury it. So that was her final wish. And her head was subsequently buried underneath a pine tree um, at at the Hokaiji Temple in modern-day Fukushima. The Boshin War, in historian Stephen Turnbull's view, marks the end of the age of the female warrior. So with Takeko kind of went women's involvement in battle in Japan. Uh, And here's what he said. Just as the elite samurai class gave way to the conscript army of the modernizing Meiji government, so did women warriors give way to men. 
and Japan's modern wars from the Sino-Japanese War to World War II were all male affairs. Um, and his book is called Samurai Women, 1184 to 1877. Yes. So that's how long they exist. E- exactly. Yep. They were around for a long time and not well understood. Fortunately, women in Japan have remembered Nakano to Keiko, and a monument to her stands um, in Ezu, where girls come each year to honor her and her women's army during the Ezu Autumn Festival. I, I also thought that festival could be an interesting framing device. Mm. Um, every year, a group of young girls wear traditional Japanese garments and head ba- headbands and take part in a procession commemorating the actions of Takeko and her band of women fighters. So I think that could be interesting to see this modern, see how these women's bravery was appreciated through this modern lens. I think that's great. It's it's kind of the Saving Private Ryan framing device, but you would have good dialogue instead of really heavy-handed dialogue. Take I that, think, Spielberg. Yeah, take that, Spielberg. Although... I think you and I are divided on whether we like that device in Schindler's List. I like it a lot in Schindler's List. Yeah, and I'm a little like, do we need it? You can't say anything bad about Schindler's List. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> it's Schindler's I List. I didn't say that. Wow. It's Schindler's List. <laughs> um, but I think there is something about having this autumn festival. It could modernize the, the story a bit more instead of it being completely set in this you know, uh, in the late 1860s in Shogunate, Japan, bringing it, making it a little bit more relevant. Yeah. So that's why I kind of liked that angle. You could also call it the Titanic framing device where you've got just the flash forward, but whatever. Whenever I think of Titanic, I know everybody thinks of either the scene where they're quote unquote flying on the boat or (laughs) uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character Jack is... She won't let him on the door right. or what have you. Right. Um, she's like, get off the door. She's like, get off the door. I can't care. I can't hold you. I can't hold your weight. My, I always think of old ass Rose dropping the blue diamond into the water. Me like too. that's the visual I think of. I love that part. And I also think of the guy going like, hey, spaghetti. What? The guy who's like, I can see the Statue of Liberty. Oh, oh yeah. My spaghettios yeah. are delicious. We should watch that again. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, is it? We'll I don't out. think I've seen it since I was a teenager. <laughs> When it was a great movie. <laughs> when I saw it 400 times. It was an amazing movie. <laughs> uh, so I think this is the best. I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I think this is probably the best raw material for a story we've ever had on this show. It's so timely, but also so timeless. And we obviously have an incredible, incredible lead character, an incredible historical backdrop. It has elements of so many successful things now. I really like it. Let's pretend to make this thing. In our next segment, development. So who should direct this movie? So I had a few ideas here. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my top three. I thought Catherine Bigelow could be interesting because she did The Hurt Locker. She's done a war film. Yep. Um, she's a female director, got that female perspective. I also thought Ang Lee could be very good. He did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with... An incredible female lead. Um, that so that amazing. one would that would obviously be the the obvious choice, I think. Yeah. Um, then George Miller could be interesting. He did Mad Max Fury Road, and Charlize was really 
incredible in that film. It had such a cool style and it felt, I thought that could be a cool twist on this. If you do that kind of on horseback, I think people would be all in. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that style dialing up the style. Yeah. Could make this very unexpected and different. I mean, just think of the coolness of that segment in Kill Bill where Uma Thurman goes and battles. What's her name? Lucy Liu. Oh, Lucy Liu. Just think of the coolness of that segment in Kill Bill where Uma Thurman goes and battles Lucy Liu and just the snow and just the coolness of it. Yeah. Just the, the simplicity of it. And I think if you could do that and juxtapose it with horses and swords flashing and 172 guys getting killed... That's a beautiful movie. Totally. I completely agree. Like, it needs to have a real movie aesthetic. It needs to have, like, a very specific point of view, borrowing, I hope, from Kill Bill, among other sources. And just the elegance and simplicity that's so valued in a lot of Japanese cinema. Totally agree. Like, I think you need the silence and the the serenity of Japan in the counterpoint of, like, the action that is going to just blow you away when she kills 172 dudes it's a really fun directorial mission to balance those two things agreed um one of my choices for directors somebody who i think is really good at that michelle mclaren she directed a lot of episodes of breaking bad yeah game of thrones westworld i think she's really good at that kind of silences with total chaos totally agree another somebody i just mentioned every single week um chloe Zhao, director of the rider our favorite movie that came out last year. She's very, very good with stillnesses, obviously. The writer is just so beautiful in its, in its stillness in places. Um, I think she'd be great. And, and she's, she's getting into Marvel now. She's getting into making you know, MCU future blockbusters. So this could be another natural yeah, for her. This would almost be a uh, transition, although I'm sure that one is well underway. Yeah. Um, what about the main character, Tim? Okay, we discovered, as we discover when we try to cast Native American characters, um, kind of a shortage of lead Japanese actresses. Yeah, I think what I found most interesting and disappointing was that I looked at a few films that I thought were would would inevitably have included some Japanese actresses, like Memoirs of a Geisha, which is set in Japan, and none of the actresses were... Japanese or of Japanese descent. Which I'm like, whoa, that's, that's, that's really surprising. I mean, there are Japanese actresses in Japan, obviously, but who've crossed over to who, the U.S. To Hollywood. We're not finding them. They must exist. We absolutely welcome your recommendations at Shoot This Now Pod. Yeah, we had a few ideas. Um, one that felt um, interesting was maybe Lyrica... Okano, she's in Marvel's Runaways playing a teen with superpowers. We thought she might be able to pull this off. Uh, We felt like Rinko Kikuchi from Westworld needs to be in this film. Maybe she could play the geisha um, counterpoint. She played it really well in in Westworld. Um, Another woman we like who could maybe play um, Takeko's mom is Yuki Kudo from Snow Falling on Cedars. So all of those actresses, I think, would be stellar. But again, we'd love to know what you think, what the listeners think um, about potential casting. I would also love, I think she's a little bit older than the lead here. 
but I think it would be really cool to include her, Chiaki Kuriyama, uh, who played Gogo Yubari in Kill Bill. Um, she's the one who's swinging that. Oh, yeah, awesome. she's great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, she's excellent. And I had another kind of outlier crazy idea. Um, there's a Japanese pop star, Maho Yamaguchi, who reported that she was assaulted by two men out outside of her home, one of whom grabbed her by the face. Um, she subsequently went on stage and publicly bowed and apologized for causing so much trouble. And there was a huge backlash from people who suspected that she was forced to make that apology by someone um, and just said, you absolutely don't need to apologize for being attacked or for reporting that you were attacked. And I think it would be kind of kind of nice cinematic justice if she got to play just a complete ass kicker. I t- couldn't agree more. Yeah, she'd be great. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, a- as we research this one, I think what's so interesting is, hey, this is a entirely Asian cast. This is a film about an important time period in, in Japan's history. We saw the huge success of Crazy Rich Asian- Asians. So that's another reason why this is relevant. Like these stories need to be told. We need to be telling stories that feature, um, you know, different cultures and different different people. So that's why I sort of like this one. You're saying Tom Cruise won't be in it at all. Well, as in all of our ideas, he will make a cameo. <laughs> as will Keanu Reeves and Mark Wahlberg. Sure. But that that goes for, again, all of our films. <laughs> But he he won't be billed him. Those those are those are cameos. No he'll billing. Just, he'll just do a quick stop in. Yeah. Okay. He'll be like um, he'll be like Mac in Game of Thrones, where you just see him for <laughs> half a second. He'll just die very quickly. Right. They're like this guy from the Union Army has joined <laughs> has joined yeah. the battle, and now he's dead. Exactly. Um, what do you call this thing? I mean, I can't think of any other name I, I have two but I think women's army is is kind of perfect because that's indeed what um, they called themselves it was Joshitai which translates to women's army wow yeah that's not bad not bad and your other one the only other one I had which I I actually I'm not sure I even want to share because I can't stand how every Asian movie has the word dragon in it but I had Earth Dragon only because, as I mentioned, um, the beginning of the podcast, the year that the the year of the Bush and War was the year of the Yang Earth Dragon, and I felt like, you know, yeah, Nakano Takeko was a, a, a GD dragon. I mean, I know we're all tired of the word dragon, especially in movies associated with China, but. Dragons are just awesome. There's a reason people go back to the dragon well a lot. You know, um, Matthew Polly, when we did the episode about Bruce Lee last year and his book, uh, Bruce Lee, A Life, just came out on paperback, in paperback, said that his only rule <laughs> for the book was that it must not have dragon anywhere in the title. He's just like, this is so played out. No more dragon. So Matthew Polly would be horrified right now. Matthew Polly is so angry. He's barfing up. <laughs> His <laughs> lungs. Um, I hope not. He's a pretty fierce martial artist um, and probably could take many kicks to the lungs. And Is it weird that we're still talking about him like a year after we interviewed him? So he needs that, uh, <laughs> 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 he needs that O2 to make sure that he can, he has the endurance to keep punching and kicking. I kind of really like Women's Army. I also like using the 
if we could somehow use the name of that weapon that I really, really like, um, Naginata. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. That sounds like such a cool weapon. Like to have a part sword, part, part spear that curves. I feel like that could just be the image and it's probably covered in blood, right? Uh, naturally. The I mean, blood she has of to 172 be men. <laughs> and she has to be holding it. Yeah. So Nagani- Naginata. I, wow. That's your vote. I, I mean, I see this entire thing to you. This is a great idea. I, I am just watching from the stands in delight. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I'd see this. I would see the hell out of this. I would go with you to see this and I would go like, I don't want to see that. And then I'd be like three seconds in and go, oh my God, this is amazing. Just like with the writer. That's every movie we go see. I think there have <laughs> been like one or two exceptions where I got the, the stink guy after, but I'd say not, I've 99% of the time when I drag you, you're like, I'm good. I want. Well, you know, you were wrong about the Meg, um, but otherwise your taste is really good. We liked the Meg. <laughs> no, the we Meg saw it great. at a drive-in theater. The Meg was awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> anything to add before we? No. I. Um, it was. It was a privilege to research this story. I thought it was very. Uh, it was amazing. She was an amazing woman. 